India Wood is Colorado's own Mary Anning. Now that's saying something. India Wood is Colorado's own Mary Anning. We'll see if you agree with the statement after today's episode of the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries. From Dinosaur Ridge in Morrison, Colorado, I'm your host, Aaron LeCount, Education Programs Director. We're elated to be launching our first season of episodes following the pilot you may have heard on the Stegosaurus. Today, we're doing a deep dive on one of the coolest looking carnivores of all time. But like all dinosaurs, this meat eater is still a bit of a mystery. We're going to cover what we know and also hear from India Wood about her remarkable connection to the star of today's podcast, Allosaurus. We start by heading to the west of Dinosaur Ridge and a few miles south as the pterosaur flies to the Morrison Natural History Museum. Our lead tour guide, Alice Olson, sat down with museum director Matthew Mossbrucker to talk about the Allosaurus excavated from Dinosaur Ridge during the Bone Wars in the late 1870s. Listen closely because this one has some twists and turns. And because there's going to be a test at the end of the show. Hi, Matt. My name's Alice Olson, and I work at Dinosaur Ridge. I'm actually the lead tour guide there, and I go by Allosaurus Alice. No, wait. You are the Allosaurus Alice? Yes, sir. You are a legend. (laughs) I should be interviewing you, so we we need to do that. Live in the dream, man. Okay. I, I love it there. Thanks for having me here today. Oh, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Uh. So I go by Allosaurus Alice, as you know, and I, I've done that for a couple of reasons. Alliteration. And because Allosaurus is such a cool theropod from the late Jurassic. A lot of people know about him. A lot of kids love him. Uh, so I put it on my name tag. But I think we want to know a little mo- more about the fossil history connected to this animal. Um, so I'd love to ask you all the questions because I hear you have all the dirt. Well... I don't have as much dirt as I'd like to have. I think the longer I look at these fossils, uh, the more questions I have and the less confident I am that I know anything at all. Totally happy to share with you what I do think I know. Fair enough. All right. Well, I'll start with my first question because the origin of this dinosaur type, the origin of the name Allosaurus is a little fuzzy to me. Is it true that the fossil now associated with this big carnivore was once called Antrodemus back in 1877? It was, but there's an even funnier history before then. So if you are hanging out in the American West in the mid-19th century, and you're picking up rocks and you're looking at fossils, um, you're not finding complete skeletons of these big animals. That very rarely happens. Uh, It's so unusual. But you are finding, and other people are finding, and picking up weird objects. So near, probably around Granby in Middle Park, Colorado, big area, um, locals were aware of these stony objects they were calling horse hooves. These horse hooves were passed off to a pioneering geologist, Ferdinand Vandeveer Hayden. Very cool name. Um, Sounds like a band. And he looked at these fossilized horse hooves and realized, oh no, these are not hooves at all. Indeed, these are bones, and these are bones that he'd never seen before. So he took one of these hooves and he described it. He named it Poikilopleuron valens. I'll say that again, Poikilopleuron 
is the genus. Balance is the species. It's a mouthful. He was aware of similarly shaped vertebrae that were discovered and assigned to a meat-eating dinosaur from Europe. Well, that was 1869 when he was first received these fossils, and then 1870 when he named Poikilopleuron, which is coincidentally Colorado's first documented and described fossil. Well, he realized uh, after a couple of years, 1873, that his new species of Poikilopleurons probably earned its own name. So he named it then Antridium. Demus Valens, right? Okay. Well, uh, and those specimens really um, were not named by Hayden. Um, they were named by Joseph Leidy. So minor correction there. Heidi was a pioneering paleontologist, but it was um, Hayden that connected uh, these bones to Joseph Leidy. It wasn't until 1877 that... Uh, Professor Marsh at Yale um, collected parts of, eh, pretty scrappy parts, of an allosaur, um, what we think of as an allosaur today, near Canyon City, Colorado, Garden Park. They were vertebrae also, but they have different features. They have little dimples on the, the vertebrae, spools, kind of, kind of concavities, right? Light in the vertebrae. It's different than the Antrodemus bone that was found. So Marsh named it something different, Allosaurus fragilis. Doesn't give us an etymology. We don't know why he chose to name it what he did. It's annoying. But it wasn't until 1920 that the famous dinosaur paleontologist, whose work on stegosaurs I greatly admire, this is Charles Whitney Gilmore, he synonymized Antrodemus with Allosaurus because at that time we had more fossils to look at. Poikilopleuron, Valens, and Antrodemus, Valens, same critter, named by Lydie, and Allosaurus was named differently because of different characteristics of bones in the back, and then they were synonymized, they were smooshed together, and that was in 1920. So Allosaurus actually means different lizard. It does. Is that because of the dimples and the shapes of the vertebrae that were discovered? I I assume so. Um, it's commonplace nowadays if, let's say, you, Allosaurus Alice, were to describe a new dinosaur and you get the honor of naming it, mm -hmm. it is commonplace for you to provide an etymology. So you are assigning old words that aren't used anymore, uh, Greek, Latinized Greek, um, Latin, or whatever words you want, really, um, into a new form, a new word that you can then um, assign to whatever you're describing, right? Mm -hmm. So you give it a meaning. Uh, Marsh does that sometimes with some animals, um, but not universally. He didn't with Allosaurus. I know he described Allosaurus only in a couple of paragraphs with only some little measurements. Those little bony horns that are located over each eye, one little horn over each eye. And I was wondering if we have any idea what the function of those could have been. Okay, so the, the little hornlets, as I like to think of them, they're not like round cylindrical horns. They're kind of flattened. They're almost like sharpened crests. They're, they're part of a bone in the skull we call the lacrimal. That is the tear duct bone. So the eyeball always develops behind 
the tear duct bone towards the, the neck or that the tail in that general direction, right? So that these little lacrimal hornlets or crests uh, have evidence that they weren't just covered with skin, but they're fairly coarse in texture, and it looks like they were somewhat keratinized. So the same material that makes up your, your fingernails, fingernails, right? Mm -hmm. um, also um, makes up, you know, kind of covers these little hornlets. We see a lot of variation in the shape and the size of these structures in our allosaur sample from the Jurassic Morrison formation. And they're not by themselves, because if you look at the snout of the dinosaurs, some allosaurs, not all of them, some of these allosaurs have double-bladed ridges that go on the snout that kind of fall in line with those lacrimal horns. So they have these funny blades on the top of their heads. So why do you think that would be a useful adaptation for a dinosaur? I wonder if they helped shade the eyes for hunting for better visual acuity. Yeah, I think you know, uh, shading the eye, protecting the eye, because you see little lacrimal uh, style hornlets, although they're different elements in the skull and stegosaurs too. See it in the like the first stegosaurus stenops ever found. They have them too. So giving a little bit of protection to the eye like eyebrows from the sun above, sure. And that's part of it, I think. Okay. But with allosaurs, they're so exaggerated that yeah, they must have some function with display and behavior. They don't make any sense otherwise. All right, so I've got uh, just a couple more questions here that I'm just dying to know about. Shoot. Um, Allosaurus is called an apex predator. I've heard it called an apex predator. Does that distinction fit or does that maybe go to the larger Torvosaurus of the time? So even though, like for example, when we dig up at Como Bluff, Wyoming, mm -hmm. our colleague, uh, Dr. Bob Bacher, dug up there for years and years and years. And he, after collecting fossils of Allosaurus and um, Ceratosaurus and some Megalosaurus too, he pretty quickly realized that Allosaurus was the most abundant animal up there. So it outnumbered its competition, nearest competition, which was Ceratosaurus, 20 to 1, but the big Megalosaurus, um, 30 to 1. Here in Morrison, right, our little section along Dinosaur Ridge, we have at least five dead Allosaurus. Well, guess how many Megalosaurus we have here? Zero. That is correct, so far. So yeah, no, no megalosaurs yet. So yeah, by, by the dead animal record, um, we seem to have allosaurus as the abundant, the abundant predator. apex predator at the time. All right, sure. I'll take that. All right, so the big question. T-Rex versus allosaurus. Now, to be clear, T-Rex came after allosaurus by yeah. about 80 million years, right. to my understanding. Yeah. How could we... Um, how could we compare them side by side? If you glued about three Allosaurus together, the animal from a garden park, if you glued three of them together, it would weigh as much as a T-Rex and might have a chance. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I think your little Allosaurus could outrun a T-Rex, smaller and lighter, um, pretty long back legs. But T-Rex definitely had the bigger bite. It's... Allosaurus definitely had a... a, a 
pretty long, flexible neck, much bigger forelimbs, grasping talons. You know that because you're holding an Allosaur arm in my I, office right now. I have now. been for See the entire interview here. Grasping talons with the big peduncles, those lumps of bone underneath the claws so that the big muscles and tendons can attach to those lumps. Yep, we're touching it right now. Yep. Well, those fingers with those talons will lock into prey. Allosaurus locks into you. you are, you're done for. It's not letting go. Allosaurus has the Swiss army knife equivalent of carnivorous dinosaur teeth. They're kind of sharp, but not terribly sharp. They're kind of thick to resist breakage, but not super thick like a T-Rex. So I've heard you refer to the Allosaurus as the mystery Jurassic fossil of Dinosaur Ridge. And this is really my last question to wrap up the interview here. What is the mystery? I don't know what species we have here. Did I whisper that into the microphone adequately? And the reason why I don't know what species we had here is because we haven't found the right parts of the skull to make that determination. And the only thing I can tell you right now is that the Allosaur population that lived here in Jurassic Morrison was big as an adult. We have some vertebrae from one of the minor quarries that are very large. So our only answer to this problem is to continue to dig and dig slowly at sites like quarry five which is now producing parts of the skull of an allosaur we do have a couple of pieces we're on the trail that is exciting and maybe one day that mystery will, that mystery will be solved yeah and it will bring up a dozen more questions Welcome to Paleontology. As science does. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure meeting you. I'm a huge fan, and I need you to sign something. <laughs> you got it. My name is Jim Watson, and I volunteer as a docent at the exhibit hall at Dinosaur Ridge. People often get excited and talk about the large and feared Tyrannosaurus rex that lived in the Cretaceous period. But I often wonder about the much smaller carnivorous theropod Allosaurus that lived during the late Jurassic period. After all, bones of this meat-eating dinosaur were in fact uncovered in 1877 at Dinosaur Ridge. Just what might an Allosaurus have sounded like? Maybe not as loud or menacing as a much larger T-Rex, but maybe when lording over its recently killed plant-eating prey with other Allosauruses around, it might have made a warning sound like this. We are not sure, and certainly as with other creatures, there probably were many other sounds an Allosaurus might have made in various circumstances. Anyway, this is one sound I think an Allosaurus might have made. India Wood. Is that a groovy name or what? India Wood. It's the kind of name that should belong to somebody extraordinary. And in fact, in the history of American paleontology, India Wood is a legendary figure. The teenage girl who dug up one of the best specimens of an Allosaurus ever found when she was just a young girl, exploring a remote ranch owned by friends of her mother's in northwestern Colorado. India Wood was an accidental paleontologist driven by curiosity and persistence, and the freedom she had to chase something exciting and prehistoric. She was in the right place at the right time and had the right temperament for the task. Now in her 50s, India is still going on adventures, but 
Her name and identity will forever be linked to a dinosaur that died millions of years ago and whose fossil remains have been capturing imaginations for decades over at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Just recently, the Three Springs Ranch, where India made her celebrated find, went up for sale, and a reporter with the Wall Street Journal contacted her, wanting to hear about her unlikely discovery, because the story never gets old. A few years ago, India worked at Dinosaur Ridge, helping with our summer camp. We invited her back recently to reconnect and catch up on her latest quest. And we also wanted to hear the story of Alice, the Allosaurus, once again. If I could have had, you know, three different lives, I would have been a paleontologist, uh, a businesswoman, and a writer and photographer. Actually, India has done all three of those things in her single lifetime. She's writing a book about her experience crisscrossing the state of Colorado on foot, diagonally from the southeast corner to the northwest in 2020, and then from the northeast corner to the southwest in 2022. India has a passion for storytelling and capturing wild scenes on camera, so walking this giant X across Colorado was the perfect expedition to gather stories and photos during her slow, methodical journey. Along the way, she thought about a lot of things, including her days digging for dinosaurs during an often unsupervised childhood. My father was Myron Wood. He was a photographer, uh, pretty prolific uh, photographer of mid-20th century Colorado. My mother uh, was a, a terrible tent erector, but she did write 30 books and uh, took a lot of photographs as well of Colorado and New Mexico. Um, and they would take us places. They, when I was a kid, we would go to Horse Creek. And that's a wonderful place. It's where I found my first ammonite that really got me going. Um, and I think it's often kids' first fossil to find. My first fossil find was an Apatosaurus vertebrae at age 16. But I do love a good ammonite. By the way, India's mom is the late author Nancy Wood. You can find her works of fiction, nonfiction, children's stories, and poetry on Amazon and in your local library or bookstore. And my mom, when I was a kid, you know what it's like to try to entertain kids. She had no money. She was a writer. So she would take us to friends' ranches. And we started going up here when I was eight. And um, there was just one issue. Judy. Her husband, Minford, ran the ranch. And Judy could do anything. She, she actually made walking sticks out of bull penises. They're pretty cool. I still have one. But she did not like children. She hated children. She actively detested them. And my mother would take us up there for a week. And Judy soon learned that if she taught me how to go find fossils, she could be rid of me for days. And so she took me and my sister Kate off to the far corner of the ranch and said, here, here's some lunch. Here's some sardines and a Coke and some crackers. And, you know, I'll see you at sunset. And we had a marvelous time. I mean, it was an amazing ranch. Uh, the, just, it's basically desert up there in northwest Colorado. There's this big ridge of the Morrison Formation that runs across Three Springs Ranch for a few miles. It's an amazing part of Colorado. This was back in the late 1970s to early 1980s, you know, before cell phones and Google and YouTube. India was learning how to dig with some guidance from Judy, but ended up largely on her own. The year she turned 12 is when things got really interesting. I first found part of a stegosaurus, and then I found um, a dinosaur nearby. And it was just a little piece of dinosaur bone that was sticking out of the hill, the size of my thumb. 
And I was 12 and my pants were all weighed down with all the fossils and rocks I'd put in them. And so my sister and the ranch hand were way ahead. And I see this little thing sticking out of the hillside. I'm like, wow, it's sticking up like there's something behind it. And you know how if you can't see something, you wonder what it is. You know, if there's just a, just a little bit of something sticking out, kind of wonder, what is that? And that's why fossil collecting and rock collecting are so good at driving curiosity. Because you can't see all of it most of the time, and you get to dig it out. And so I dug back on that bone, and it ended up being about the size of a turkey platter with this funny ice cream scoop thing on the side. At first, she thought the bone was a shoulder blade. She would later find out it was an ilium, part of an allosaurus's hip. After a few days, it would be time to go home again, hours and hours away where India would count the days until her next visit. But I kept going up there uh, for three years. I went up to Three Springs. Um, at one point, I took the bus by myself at age 14 from Colorado Springs because I really wanted to go up there and nobody would take me. Uh, my sister drove me up um, by hook or by crook, I would get up there, and I kept digging. But by age 15, I had 18 Allosaurus bones in my bedroom, on the shelves, under my bed. Um, I had read someplace that Allosauruses were common, and I, I neglected to realize that they were talking about Allosauruses were common in the Jurassic, not today, in good shape and an individual. But I didn't know that. So I just kept putting the bones in my bedrooms thinking this was really cool and fun and keeps me out of trouble, more or less. I was a teenager by then. And I named her Alice. It was in March 1982, and my mother marched up to my bedroom and said, well, my husband has left us. This was her third husband. My father was the second husband. She said, John's gone. I don't have any money. I got to rent the house out for the summer and get rid of these dinosaur bones. And you've got rocks all over your carpet. Nobody's going to want to stay here. Where am I supposed to live for the summer? Oh, you'll figure that out. You're resourceful. Um, oh, and by the way, India, you need a job as well. I'm like, you know, I was going to be 16 in a few months. My, my mother thought we could do anything. That was a plus side. The negative side was um, she let us do everything. <laughs> but maybe that was good, you know? They rarely said, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. It was always, oh, have fun. Ha! So I put five dinosaur bones in a Nakona cowboy boot box and went up to the museum and went to the front desk and handed it to the front desk person. And I expected her to be really impressed. I mean, they were dinosaur bones. She didn't even look in the box. She said, oh, yeah, the paleontologist will take a look. And I told her I thought they were dinosaur bones and an allosaurus. She shoved them aside. I was like, fine. Um, and I really wasn't sure whether I would hear from the paleontologist. It seemed like maybe they had too many allosauruses. So day went by, two days, three days. And the phone rings in Colorado Springs, you know, the old rotary dial things, bring, bring. And it's the paleontologist from the museum. And he's really excited. He's like a tea kettle that's boiling over. He said, we don't have a meat eater and these bones are beautiful and we would love to have your, your Allosaurus. Can I come see where you found it? So I took him up there. Uh, he 
looked at the site, patted me on the head. There, there, girl. You can come watch us prepare the bones in the fall. My mother had a lot of chutzpah. And, you know, mom would not let this drop. Not that she spoke up about it, but I did. And I said, Don, you said I did a good job digging up these bones and gluing them together. It might have been with Elmer's, but I did a good job. And he said, yeah, you did. And I said, I'd really like to work with you on digging this dinosaur up. And the landowners backed me up. And they said, if you're going to excavate this dinosaur, India has to help. And then also, I think the museum saw the wisdom of having a dinosaur that was excavated by a kid. So they hired me for two summers to dig up Alice. So I worked as a field assistant for two summers, and I thought Don Lindsay was going to be my mentor. I was so excited. I remember riding up there with him in the pickup truck. I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to be working for a paleontologist. I'm going to learn so much. We're going to get up at dawn, go to bed at dusk. We're going to work 12 hours a day. I'm a squirrel. I am perpetually busy. And I'll never forget the first morning we were supposed to go dig up, go start excavating. I was down at their trailer at 7 a.m. Not a peep. Eight, nine, ten. They finally appeared, Don Lindsay and his son Jim. And after a few days of this, Jim and I got to talking. He was a year older than me. So he, I was 16, he was 17. We ended up digging it up pretty much ourselves because Don Lindsay suffered terribly from alcoholism. He was smart. He did know paleontology and he knew field techniques. So a couple hours a day, he would tell us what to do. And Jim was also, at that time, he'd been working for the museum, I think, for probably three summers. So it's kind of funny that that dinosaur was dug up by a couple of teenagers. Bone by bone, Alice was coming together. They soon found the other turkey platter, the other ilium, and this one was attached to the sacrum, a series of fused vertebrae over the hips. Then there's a rib, a piece of the skull, a couple more vertebrae, skull pieces. We found almost all of the spinal cord, probably 80% of it, and the big bones in the hips, uh, I think one and a half toe bones, uh, the tibia, none of the arms, Basically, what we found of Alice was like a big dinosaur snake with some stumpy legs. <laughs> Unfortunately, the economy at this time was taking a turn for the worse, impacting the museum's budget. In the fall of 1984, half of the staff was let go. They laid off Don, they laid off Jim, who had just prepared most of the Allosaurus bones, and they threw Alice in a closet. So, at age 19, India headed back east to New Hampshire to study English lit. But Alice and the dig site kept gnawing away at her like a dog, determined to get to the marrow. I was at Dartmouth College at the time. I can't leave this alone. I'm too curious. What else is in that hill that would tell me what her ecosystem was like? So I'm like, fine, I'll go get some money of my own. I'll do my own expedition at 19. So I did. I got money from the Carnegie Fund and Shell Oil and the Dartmouth President. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not very big, but I sure could use a couple field assistants. So I got John Dehotsky to join me for three months and Scott Schwank for one. And we had a wonderful time. I didn't have a drunk boss to worry about anymore. And 
we dug up a lot of that hillside. We actually found one of the first remains of an early mammal from the time of the dinosaurs. Uh, it was the humerus bone, and we found many other things. Uh, clam, shrimp, snail, fern, horsetail, fish, the early mammal, pterosaur, uh, early reptiles, lizards, crocodiles, turtles, amphibians, even a frog, a couple bones from a frog. So isn't that cool that you can think of this Allosaurus living with many of the same creatures we have today? Salamanders, frogs, fish, crocodiles. And so the site, you know, for most people, they think, oh, it's the Allosaurus site, but it's actually scientifically the Wolf Creek Paleontological Site. And John Foster called it important to the understanding of a good part of the Morrison's vertebrate fauna. Nine years go by. I don't hear a word from the museum. Um, I get a call from Richard Stuckey, amazing guy, amazing paleontologist. He calls me up and said, hey, India, you know, we're putting your dinosaur together. So I went to the opening, helped cut the ribbon. Now, when you go to the museum today, you're probably wondering, well, how much of it is real? About half of it. And some of the bones were too valuable to put into the mount. Some of the bones held physical clues, injuries Alice had gained in her lifetime. This includes several ribs that may help our understanding of what put Alice in her grave all those millions of years ago. Joe Surdich looked at these with me, and he said that it looked like, given the, the bone that had uh, grown in here, the spongy bone, that she had been badly injured across the ribs about a year before she died. And maybe even that injury was what killed her. Joe thinks that it was maybe even the, the lash of a sauropod's tail that just smacked her right here and broke them, and they probably broke through the skin. So it was a pretty terrible injury. I remember when we dug these up, I was really curious. Don didn't know what had happened. These are not in the mount. I wish they were because I think it would, it would make her as more of an individual and more interesting because she was interesting. She led a life. And when you just see a perfect skeleton, you don't necessarily think about that. You don't. And it's not easy to tell which bones are real fossils and which are replica. It turns out Alice's entire skull was replaced by a different Allosaurus specimen. As strange as that sounds, it happens in the world of museums all the time. Uh, the old one had, had issues. Don't we all have issues with our heads? But she got a better one. So Alice has more or less stayed the same for the last 25 years. I have not. at this field map. Do you think it goes back? Heck yeah. But I did not become a paleontologist after writing a paper with Harvard scientists about this stuff. I majored in English literature and went into business. <laughs> Growing up with two artists, I, didn't, I was worried about starving. I was a businesswoman until about five years ago in marketing and uh, market research. But now I realize I can follow my passions more. And I love to write and take photographs and tell stories. And you can see some of India's work on her website, indiahwood.com. Her wildlife photos taken all over Colorado are so cool to see, and you can learn all about her writing projects, including a memoir called The Dinosaur's Daughter, which retells in vivid detail her experience with Alice the Allosaurus. Okay, pop quiz time. Are you ready? 
which came first, the Allosaurus or Tyrannosaurus Rex? And bonus question, how many years apart did they live? The answer, Allosaurus and T-Rex lived about 80 to 90 million years apart in totally different time periods. Allosaurus came first in the late Jurassic, and T-Rex followed during the late Cretaceous. Okay, next question. What are some of the animals living today that were also found in the time of the Allosaurus? The answer, there are several, including frogs, turtles, crocodiles, clams, snails, salamanders, mammals, and shrimp. Fossils from all of these animals were found alongside the Allosaurus India Wood dug up in Colorado. Final question. Do you remember what the name Allosaurus means in Greek? The answer, you probably recall that saurus means lizard or reptile. Allos means strange or different, so strange lizard or different lizard. By the way, the Allosaurus is the state fossil of Utah, where dozens of specimens have been found at the Cleveland Lloyd Dinosaur Quarry. Thanks for playing along and listening to the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries. We hope you learned a few new Allosaurus facts. By the way, if you remember at the beginning of this podcast, Matthew Mossbrucker said India Wood was Colorado's own Mary Anning. As you may know, Anning was a fossil collector who lived in England in the 1800s. When she was 12 years old, she helped discover the first specimen of an ichthyosaur and later found the first plesiosaurus. Male scientists at the time often bought the fossils that Mary found and failed to credit her for the discoveries. Check back next week for another episode of the Land Before podcast. Jeff LaMontagne is our supervising producer. Kristen Kidd is executive producer. Aaron LeCount is our host. Michelle Howell and Alice Olson are regular contributors. Our theme song is by Hansdale Sue. And I'm Katie Bradley, sound editor and sound engineer for the Land Before podcast, Fossil Histories and Paleo Mysteries, produced at Dinosaur Ridge in Morrison, Colorado. Come and visit us. 